Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Luke's English podcast is supported in several ways. One of the ways you can support the podcast is by sending a donation. And if you have sent a donation recently, then thank you very much. You are keeping the podcast alive. The other way that you can support the podcast is to become a premium subscriber. And in return for a few dollars a month, you will get access to the complete premium episode library with over 100 episodes focused on teaching you vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation. And if you'd like to get more information and to sign up to Luke's English Podcast Premium, just go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this brand new episode of Luke's English Podcast. Here it is, another episode of my podcast, From Me to You, in which I help you try to learn this wonderful language that we call English. And I am here to try to help you do it in ways that I hope you will find interesting and motivating. So, how are you doing out there in podcast land today? I hope things are pretty good, all things considered. Um, You are now listening to the fourth in my Beatles mini-series, And the second part of this double episode I'm doing about describing John Lennon using various adjectives of personality. I'm assuming here that you've heard the first part of this. Okay, so if you haven't heard the first part of this double episode, then you need to go and listen to that. It's probably the previous episode to this one. Okay, so I'm still talking to Anthony Rotuno from the Glass Onion on John Lennon podcast. Anthony is also an English teacher with plenty of experience, so I think he is the perfect guest for this podcast series. And let's continue going through this list of adjectives we compiled, and let's see if we can use them to discuss John Lennon's life, his psychology, his personality. In the last episode, we covered adjectives from A to I. It's a kind of in a rough, it's a sort of a rough A to Z. And we did A to I last time, so let's do the rest of the alphabet which is what? Uh, J to Z. Z, we call it in British English. Z, they call it in American English. So, we might skip a few letters here and there, but I'm sure that you'll forgive us, won't you? Yeah, you don't mind. So, just before we continue, let me read out the list of adjectives. Like last time, we don't go into full detail about all of these, but have a listen and consider these things. So consider whether you know these words, whether you don't know them, whether you use them, and whether you don't, and also what's the word stress for these adjectives? How many syllables are there, and which syllables are the stressed ones? It can also be useful to consider what the noun or verb forms of these adjectives are, if they have them, and sometimes you'll hear us sort of using the different forms of these words in these word families as well. But anyway, pay attention to the adjectives. Do you know them? And um, what's the word stress in these adjectives? Okay, I'm just going to go through the list now. So here we go. So we've got jealous, jittery, 
knackered, kind-hearted, lovable, misunderstood, multifaceted, narcissistic, nasty, nervous, no-nonsense, open, original, paranoid, progressive, questioning, quick-witted, reclusive, restless, revered, sensitive, sensible, sentimental, superstitious, talented, tragic, traumatised, troubled, uncompromising, unconventional, violent, warm-hearted, well-read, wise, witty, xenophobic, and this is actually the only adjective I could think of that begins with an X, it's like X, what, uh, xylophone, X-ray, xenophobic, or not xenophobic, as the case may be, and then yellow, or even yellow-bellied, and youthful, and then finally, in the Z section, we've got zealous and zen. Also in the mix, not in the J to Z cat, uh, not in the J to Z section, but also in the mix, you'll hear adjectives like childish and childlike. And we also cover a few common false friends in this episode. So listen out for those. And we've got false friends like the word embarrassed, which is a false friend in some languages, uh, suburbs and slums, sensitive and sensible, and I think some others which I didn't note down. So that entire list, by the way, is available for you to see on the page for this episode on my website. The link for that is in the description for this episode. Now, I read that list of adjectives pretty quickly. If you didn't catch the word stress, or in fact you feel you need to explore these words more slowly... You can always just check the word list on the website page. And by the way, if you do that, you'll see that I've marked the word stress, like how many syllables are in each word and which syllable is stressed. I've marked that with little symbols next to each word in the list. But anyway, you can always check the the word list on the website page and then just copy paste those words into an online dictionary where you'll see phonemic transcriptions of the words so that you'll know how they are pronounced including word stress, and you'll also be able to hear someone say the words, and you'll get definitions and examples and so on. Okay, so I always encourage you to check words that you discover in episodes of this podcast in your own time, and I refer you back to episode 720 for more information about how to do that, how to use uh, online dictionaries. All right, so without any further ado, let's jump back into my conversation with Anthony about John Lennon, And here we go. Right, so, Anthony, here we are again. Let's let's carry on this list of adjectives. I will have done a um, an introduction to this part again, so we can just kind of pick up where we left off last time. So we've got adjectives going from J to well, I mean, you know, I wanted to do like an A to Z. But some of those letters, <laughs> it's hard to find adjectives for them, like X and Z yeah. as well. Um, I wonder if John Lennon was X-ray phobic when he went to the airport. I they didn't have X. No, they probably didn't have those machines at the airport. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Whenever you do an A to Z thing, it's certain letters are always difficult ones, and an X, it's always like x-ray or xylophone yeah and z is always zebra or zoo so i don't yeah. know how we're going to fit zebra or zoo into this but i'm sure we'll find a way well i think the z ones are looking good actually looking looking at the google doc here anyway yeah, yeah. we've got we've got a couple of z good z ones in there yeah. so yeah. we'll come on to those in due course right so let's kind of keep this snappy if we can okay and we're going to start with the word jealous which is quite an appropriate one for john because he did write that famous song jealous guy he certainly did yep 
was he a jealous guy do you think uh, i think this is one of the things he was quite upfront about yes he was um he was unlike a lot of celebrities and uh, a lot of them tried to hide the the dark stuff and he almost went the opposite way <laughs> he almost played up the dark stuff a bit too much but i think that was i think we mentioned primal therapy before and uh, i think that was part of that yeah it was kind of it was good for him to get out all the demons so um I'm sure he was uh, jealous. I think he was quite jealous of Paul McCartney, but then that's another touchy subject among uh, <laughs> Beatles podcasters. But yeah, in a word, yes. And he did write a song about it, as you said. So I would say yes. Yeah, I guess in in relationships, his first wife, Cynthia, there were, oh, yeah, I think, some, some moments when, for example, she was dancing with other people and he kind of flew off the handle or reacted really badly. Mm-hmm. Um, we won't go into the details of, of, you know, the fights that they had and stuff, but um, I think she described him as, as being a jealous person. So yeah, there he is. He, he yeah. was a jealous guy. It's a link uh, with insecure, of course, which we've, I think we've already talked about. Definitely. A link so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. The next J word is jittery, which is a, Unlike jealous, which I think most people will know, jittery is a, an adjective that people might not have heard before. So how do you describe, what does jittery mean? Uh, jittery is perhaps um, when you're a bit on edge, where perhaps, perhaps you're a bit anxious, uh, nervous, that kind of thing. Yeah, feeling nervous, behaving nervous, nervously. Mm-hmm. Um, and if someone's jittery, it, it sort of manifests itself in certain bits of physical behavior. Like a jittery person might be quite jumpy. They might be easily surprised by noises or, oh, oh what's that? Or um, sort of fiddling and fidgeting with their fingers because they're feeling uncomfortable or nervous. So jittery. Yeah. Yeah. And to have the jitters, I guess, is, yeah, is to be nervous. Maybe when you're about to go on stage, I mean, that would be a very good example, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, uh, yeah. John Lennon did have these kind of uh, almost like spasmodic movements. Uh, he was a bit like that, yeah, so I'd go along. And again, uh, you know, I don't want to keep going on about drugs, but you, you have to factor that in, let's be honest. You know, that's that's going to add to that a little bit. I think um, I've heard you on your podcast talking about sort of the later years of John Lennon when, according to the official story, he was living in domestic bliss and all that stuff. But you spoke to, like, one of one of John's son's childhood friends that's and right. other people who knew him at the time. Like, it's amazing that you've spoken to these these <laughs> people who have – I mean, that's really good, like, really good work. Yeah. That you spoke to people who who directly knew him and spent time with him. And I think yeah. some of those people described him as being quite a nervous and jittery character. Yeah. Well, Caitlin, who is the lady who's Sean's playmate, Sean Lennon's playmate. Yeah. She said he had tons of energy. And I said, would you, would you say a lot of it was nervous? And she said, definitely. Hmm. So it's that, it's that thing. I've just, just done a podcast about emotional intelligence. We were talking about how people who have a high stress level, uh, one of their justifications is that it gives you gives them energy, and it probably is true. You know, if you run on stress, you do have high levels of energy, but then you, you, unfortunately, you get the crash at some point. You know, it can't the party can't last forever. But yes, I, I think um, a lot of nervous energy. So I I've, I I feel jittery if I drink too much coffee. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I mean, we use coffee as an example of a drug that. Uh, in the morning, I, I might, um, if I feel that, you know, if I feel I want to, I might have a, like a nice large coffee and you get that kind of the high of being 
up on the caffeine where you're able to focus and you kind of get energy and it feels good. And then after a couple of hours, if I've got an empty stomach, I'll start to feel a bit jittery and uh, uncomfortable and not yeah. very happy. So yeah. It's kind of like, like that. Yeah. I think John drank a lot of coffee as well. I, I think. Oh, I think, yeah, definitely in the, in the later years, yeah. Coffee and cigarettes. I used to smoke these really, really strong called, um, Gitan, these French cigarettes, which apparently is almost, it's almost like inhaling a cigar smoke. They're that strong. It's uh, oh my yeah. God. gross. He was tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why, uh, yeah, that's why people always ask me, what would he have done? And I, I, and I always say, well, I'd like to think he would have lived to 80, but, you know, I don't know, I'm skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as we were saying earlier, you know, heavy smokers. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Um, okay, the next word on the list is knackered, which is one of those kind of British slang words. I don't think they use it in America, but knackered, and it does begin with a K. I've talked about this word before on this podcast, but yeah. knackered, K-N-A-C-K. E-R-E-D. By the way, listeners, and I probably will say this in the introduction, if you want to see these words written, because we're not spelling them all Mm. as we go through this, if you want to see these words written down to check the spelling, then you need to go to the page for this episode on my website. And you know know where to find that, I think. So knackered just means exhausted, like really tired. Um, Do you reckon there were times when he was completely exhausted? Probably sort of short term, but also in terms of artistically do you think he was ever burnt out yeah that's a little bit of um that's something i've talked about on the show like again talking about what he may have done had he been around longer i'm not sure his musical palette you know perhaps in terms of uh i know chords and melodies was certainly not as as wide as uh paul's and yeah there, there definitely were times i mean Again, what, one of the misconceptions that one of the myths that's been well smashed is that in the five years, 75 to 80, he wasn't making any music. He was making music a lot. Um, but perhaps he, he was combining songs, which he did quite a lot. He'd, he'd write a bit of a song and then he'd often combine it with another bit of a song. So I think he was burned out in that regard. But when I think of Knackered, I mean, thanks to Mr. Lewison, Mark Lewison, and books like The Complete Beatles Chronicle, we know just how much they worked. And yes, I mean, these tours, you, you could feel knackered just reading about them. You don't have to even go on them. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, the, the sort of treadmill of touring, I mean, the Beatles on the 64 tour, just to give an example, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's something like it's 30 odd cities in 30 odd days. So, you know, people used to say, oh, it must be great to see all these places. And they're like, we don't see anywhere. You know, we just see hotel rooms and, and concert halls. And, uh, yeah, and Cynthia in her book um, said that often when he'd, when he'd come home, he would sleep for three days, you know. <laughs> so I think emotionally, emotionally knackered as well. And, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I haven't done a big tour with a band. I've only done little tours uh, either with bands or sort of as a comedian. I mean, I've done festivals and stuff as a comedian and other things and just touring, traveling, and then the nerves of performing the sort of energy that you need during the performance, all of the craziness afterwards and stuff. Uh, just like three or four days of that over a weekend festival yeah. or over a five day comedy festival or something is exhausting. And I remember just doing like the Brighton fringe festival and after five days being completely knackered coming home on the train and just like falling asleep on the train and stuff. Yeah. But 30 cities in, this is in America, I guess yeah, in 30 in days. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then all that driving, like tr- making your, you know, being in the back of the van the mm. whole time. Yeah. And all, all, the, all the press as well. And, and, and they were even writing songs on tour. I mean, it's, it's, it was just an incredible. I think George Martin called it, is it a two ring or a three ring circus? I've forgotten. <laughs> One I of those two. <laughs> like something that just like, like it never let up. It was like, like a traveling circus almost. You know, where you're just going on, you're just going from place to place continuously. And it's like, oh, can we have a day off? And like, no, you've got to meet the president of the Philippines. <laughs> you probably know that story, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's no, that. No, I want to stay in bed. Yeah, the one time when they basically said no, when they went to the Philippines. Yeah, and it, yeah, I mean, we can't tell the whole story, but essentially, like, there was a bit of a misunderstanding. Imelda Marcos of, of, of the Philippines thought that they were going to meet the she thought that she was going to meet the Beatles or that they were coming to meet her. And it was a big event and all, you know, and they didn't turn up because they were, they were still in bed. They refused to come because they hadn't been told about it. And, um, it was a huge scandal in the Philippines. And, uh, um, yeah, they, they, they basically had to leave very in a big hurry. Must've been scary. Like the, the, it's essentially like the whole country turned against them. Yeah. Um, as a result of, of this, because basically Imelda Marcos, she lost a lot of face. She was embarrassed in front of all her people and um, uh, shunned or uh, scorned by the Beatles. And so the media went into overdrive against them and they had to get out really quickly. That some, I think they, they were scared that, that they would be killed or something. I think they were in fear of their lives. And um, just uh, off mic before we started recording, we were talking about the power of the media <laughs> when they go after someone. You know, the corporate media, they can they can turn millions against you. Yeah, John and uh, one of the roadies famously hid behind some nuns when they were being pursued by uh, all kinds of uh, people in the streets trying to get to their plane. So, yeah, very, very tough. But the Beatles are fed up of uh, having to meet all these dignitaries. A good expression is the eye of the hurricane, because apparently a hurricane is very calm right in the middle. So when they were in their hotel rooms... And it was just the four of them and maybe a couple of Liverpool friends. They could be calm. But as soon as they went out the door, then it then it's just in this just madness. Just anyway. hotels surrounded by fans screaming their names. Uh, mm. Fans trying to get into the hotel, um, like trying to smuggle themselves into the hotel in mm. in suitcases, in boxes, trying to climb up, um, trying to climb up. Uh, yeah, uh, fire drain escapes. pipes, yeah, drain fire pipe. escapes, trying to get in, like just absolute madness. Well, she came in through the bathroom window from Abbey Road is, is apparently about that. Again, uh, maybe about something else as well, but that's one of the stories. There's lots of stories regarding some of the songs. Yeah. You know, like that someone, someone, so, some young lady climbed up or something and tried to get in through the bathroom window to the hotel. Yeah. Yeah. They would write songs <laughs> about anything. It was great. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. That was really good. Yeah, I suppose if the, you know, it must have been a, if a girl, if you just sort of go to the bathroom, if you're Paul, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to go to the bathroom and you go to go, go in and there's a girl in the bathroom, you know, like it would be pretty weird to discover this girl and to maybe talk to her. And if she was so, so starstruck, it would be a strange little human interaction with this person who was maybe unable to talk to you. Well, I was going to say, yeah, for, for your listeners, yeah, um, if you want a great film about the problems of fame, Woody Allen's Stardust Memories, fantastic film. 
because uh, I won't go into it now because we've got to get on. But, uh, yeah, it's just got people. The, the camera is from his perspective. He plays a famous guy, pretty much almost playing himself. And you see, like, he's got the, the camera view is his view, and it's just people coming at him the whole time. Oh, will you read my script? Oh, I love your film. Will you, will you, will you do this? Will you do that? And then he comes in the hotel room, and there's a young lady in there. And you kind of think, um, oh, he, he's going to take advantage of that. But he's actually, like, he's completely knackered, in fact, after a whole day of doing press. And he's like, what are you doing in there? What are you doing? Because it's just, it's just that madness. You really, I think people's innate madness comes out with famous people. They just lose their head. There's another expression. Did I, did, did we say before about the George Harrison quote, which is like, you know, the, the world went mad and they blamed it on us. Yeah. Or they gave their screams and we gave our nervous systems. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to say before that, uh, and I think I did say this in the, in the previous part of this, that, um, talking about some of these adjectives, uh, to describe John Lennon, some of them seem to be quite negative. You know, we've got like jealous, jittery, and some of the other ones we had before, like, um, uh, bad tempered and abrasive and stuff like that. Mm. Um, I just wanted to kind of maybe repeat the sentiment that um a lot of these words seem a bit negative but overall i don't view lennon's life in a negative way and i think his influence on the world and certainly on my life as a beatles fan has been broadly positive um and you know maybe we should focus on some of the nicer sides of his personality um Mm. and you know that's the next word um actually is kind-hearted yeah yeah definitely i mean there's plenty of evidence um so, so Albert Goldman, who wrote this very negative book, in one of the interviews, he said, "Oh, John Lennon wasn't generous at all, and he wasn't wasn't loving either." And Caitlin, this lady who's Sean's playmate, she said, "Oh, that's absolutely not true." And there's lots of evidence. There is lots of dark stuff with John Lennon, but I think he was genuinely generous. Ringo Starr said something like, um, "You know, he'd give you his he'd give you his heart or something like that." You know, yeah. If he liked you, you he'd, he'd give you everything, kind of thing. So I think yeah. he was kind-hearted. Yeah. Yeah, and we talked before about that story of the the the, the fan who travelled so far to to talk to him, and mm. he he let him into his home and gave him some lunch and stuff. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah. Another positive adjective is the word lovable. Mm. And well, what can we say about the word lovable? What what do what have some of um, his friends or maybe his friends from the Liverpool days said about him that he had a lovable side? Yeah, that's the thing with John Lennon. These these adjectives. I think if I had if I had to give one thing, if I had to give one adjective to describe John Lennon, multifaceted is it. So what we're talking about really is is different sides of this guy, you know. Mm. And I think his friends in Liverpool would probably say that he was, you know, he was very cutting and all the other things we've said. But then you would get this other side that would almost rescue it. You know, if, if they suddenly decided, oh, that John Lennon's a bit rough, then he'd just do something that was so nice. And uh, I don't know if I'd have any specific examples. It was just, it was just a general general personality trait that, um, yeah, he, he would just, because he was quite honest, he would, I mean, there, there are testimony from fans, for example. There were some young lady fans who he just had a totally platonic, relationships with and often if they were younger than him he had a nurturing side as well which apparently came out so he was one of those people that was he he wanted to pass on his wisdom to younger people so that's one thing so that's quite a lovable trait you know yeah absolutely 
Mm. Um, I mean, if you just watch, I don't know, like one of my favorite films is A Hard Day's Night. Mm. And it's obviously scripted and stuff. Um, but I think it captures some something of their spirit. And the scene with John Lennon, they all have their own little scenes, mm. I guess, except Paul's one was cut out because it was crap apparently. Um, but they all have their own little scenes. And the one with John is that he sort of like, um, he, uh, he ends up talking to this woman in the stairs and they have like this odd conversation where they seem to be talking at cross purposes. Yeah. Like she's talking about a person and he's, he doesn't know what she's talking about, but he carries on the conversation anyway, sort of thing. Yeah. It's a bit odd, but that it just something quite sweet in, in him in that scene he's just so sweet and lovable he's not being mean or nasty or anything and as he often wasn't he wasn't like that all the time he's just sort of the way he talks to her and interacts with her and i don't know he just has a very kind of approachable uh, a sort of uh, vulnerable char- charisma to him hello hello oh wait a minute Don't no i'm not you oh you are i'm not oh you are i know you are i'm not no you look just like him. Do I? You're the first one that said that ever. Yes, you do, look. No, my eyes are lighter. Really? All right, Noddy. Oh, Who knows? Yes, your nose is very. Is it? Well, I would have said so. Oh, you know him better, though. I do not. He's only a casual acquaintance. That's what you say. What have you heard? It's all over the place. Is it? Is it really? Mm, but I wouldn't have it. I stuck up for you. I knew I could rely on you. Thanks. You don't look like him at all. She looks more like him than I do. Yeah, and I think you can only you can only fake that up to a point. I think the truth comes out in the end, you know. So I think, yeah, genuinely, yeah, I'd go along. My favourite line in Hard Day's Night, actually, um, this is one that was a John Lennon line that they incorporated when the grandfather says, uh, oh, I thought I was going to have a change of scenery. All I've had is a room and a car and a plane and a car and a car and a car or a room and a room or something like that. And yeah. it was famously uh, a journalist said to John Lennon, they'd just been somewhere. They said, oh, how did you like it? And he said, well, it was a room and a car and a plane and a car and a room and a car. Brilliant line. <laughs> Brilliant line. Yeah. You know, rather than saying, oh, it was great. We had a great time. He just told the truth. <laughs> we did bugger all. We just, we just got shunted from one place to another. Yeah, and a certain yeah. kind of, yeah, poetry, oddly, in just like repeating all the a room in a car and a plane in a car and a car and a car. Definitely, definitely, yeah. And that mm. comes out in the lyrics, as we'll see later. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, we've got misunderstood. Uh, you've said multifaceted, which is a nice, definitely a nice phrase, meaning having various sides to it on various faces. Exactly. Um, various aspects, multifaceted. Um misunderstood i mean i think we don't need to go into that narcissistic is one which is okay we're back to the negative adjectives again (laughs) narcissistic uh is the adjective narcissism is the noun a person would be a narcissist it's really not a nice word no famous list Mm. yeah famously comes from the the god narcissus who saw his reflection in a puddle and fell in love with himself (laughs) that's where it comes from (laughs) I really wanted to make the point. I'm I'm very uncomfortable with people um, diagnosing. Uh, Donald Trump is obviously a great example. Again, the media has decided he's a narcissist, and fine, he's probably got a lot of those tendencies. 
But um, I've had a therapist on Glass Onion Show. Maybe I mentioned it earlier. And he was very uncomfortable with the public um, using, you know, diagnosing people, let's say. But uh, the point I really wanted to make is not that John Lennon was necessarily narcissistic, but that fame, I think maybe we talked about this earlier, fame almost has a, it's, it's almost built in that you become somewhat narcissistic because try and imagine, you know, I've never had this, but try and imagine people just telling you you're amazing just sort of all day, every day. And and then having a go at you when you turn out not to be as amazing as they thought, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, it's almost built in. I'm saying, you know, when you get that level of fame. Yeah. It's going to go to your head. That's it. It's, it's almost no way of avoiding it. Um, if people are building you up and up and up constantly all the time, especially when you see the world and the reaction that you've had on the world, the, you know, the, the, the effect or impact you've had on the world, when you see that it's going to be hard not to start believing your own hype. Or, or to start believing that you are special in some way. Um, but what, I don't know, are there any narcissistic sort of episodes or examples that we can give? Ooh, I'm not really sure, actually. I don't think, I don't think John Lennon won on, on the level of famous people. I don't think he was high on the scale of narcissism. Some may disagree. I don't feel like he, he necessarily wanted to be the center of attention. Yeah, I think I think what the Beatles had in their favour, and we talked about this when we did a show about Elvis. There were four of them, so they were, you know, Elvis had the whole thing, and they had a quarter of it each, kind of thing. And also, they had this down to earth. I'm going to say again, working class Liverpool thing, where mm-hmm. they would they would send it up if anyone got too big for their boots, they would send them up. So I, I'm not actually that sure. I think, well, I'll give you one example. Okay, the Naked album cover we talked about before. The fact yeah. that you want to bear your body, your naked body to the world, I totally get it. it was a, the two virgins idea is the the idea that he felt like when he met Yoko, it was almost like he'd gone back to, back to the beginning. And this was this was his first love. You know, he famously said in, in a song, I'm in love for the first time, which, you know, imagine Cynthia listening to that, his first wife. It must have yeah. been pretty hurt. Yeah. But he's expressing a sentiment where he's almost like he's resetting. You know, all the other stuff was training, and then this is my real life with Yoko. But I, I think you could say it's quite narcissistic to put your naked body on an album cover. Perhaps. Yeah. Like, look, everybody, here I am. Look at me. Yeah, look at me, exactly. But I don't, I don't think there's I don't think there's huge traits of it. I think it was one part of it, but a lot of it was because he was so famous. It's a byproduct, let's say. Yeah, I would agree. And it's not like he had nothing to back it up because like the worst aspects of narcissism is when there's, there's it's empty. Like it's just someone loving themselves, but they don't actually have anything to offer to the world, yeah. you know, and they're, they're only, uh, um, only interested in themselves and convincing others of how great they are. But John didn't need to do that. Like everyone else was doing that for him. Everyone else was telling him how wonderful he was. And, and, you know, so yeah, I think he, there was actual substance to the guy. And so maybe narcissistic is not quite appropriate. That's a really interesting point. Because if you take someone like, uh, let's say, Justin Bieber, and I mean, I don't know any of his music. I'm sure he's got some talents. But I don't think, you know, again, Justin Bieber fans, feel free to write to me and tell me I'm wrong. I don't think he, he's got perhaps that much to say to the world. I don't know. Maybe he has. But so so it must be weird for him i mean i mean apparently he wrote and he's written an autobiography like when he was 18 or something else. <laughs> can't imagine what was in it but i guess his upbringing and stuff but it must be weird for someone like him i don't know if he ever reflects and think uh oh am i really as amazing as people think 
you know? Yeah, it's hard to tell. I don't get the impression that he does, but then uh, I don't follow him on Instagram and stuff. So I'm not like, you know, ch- you know, ch- uh, checking out all the videos and things he makes. Mm. But I don't get the impression he is kind of saying some deep things. Yeah. Uh, maybe he's just sharing selfies of him, you know, he's just sharing <laughs> selfies and, you know, like Instagram is quite a narcissistic platform, isn't it? There's, there's quite a lot of sort of basically people just taking pictures of themselves wearing nice clothes or in nice locations and yeah. just like, Hey, look at me. I'm really cool. And it's, there's not really anything else going on other than, Hey, I look fucking great. Yeah. If you actually look at it, if you take a step back, it's a, it's a festival of narcissism social media and i've been involved in it i have to admit you know i mean i don't post much on instagram but if you really if you really look at it a friend of mine in madrid pointed this out to me and i've never forgotten it you know if you really look at it it really is it's it's not that people are narcissists it's that everything is encouraging narcissism so maybe you become a narcissist or you don't or maybe you've got that tendency and i think narcissism again just comes from insecurity it's like jealous jealousy you know the people who need it more are going to be the more narcissistic. And when you get a very, very insecure person who becomes world famous, it's really a recipe for disaster. I'm, I'm amazed that a lot of them survive, really. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, it's a very unhealthy platform. I mean, it's it's been stated many times. You know, the studies have been done into the you know the the social media platforms that have the uh, worse effect on your mental health. And uh, Instagram is normally at the top. Um, it's not all bad. I think that it depends on sort of how you use it as well. Of course, my mm-hmm. brother's on Instagram and he just uses it to check out skate videos because he's a skater and a musician. Mm-hmm. So he's just getting like, so he, he sometimes shares like stuff he's, he's discovered on Instagram with me. And it's basically people doing skateboarding tricks. Um, and, um, like little clips of maybe music and Alan Partridge, uh, quotes. <laughs> I'm all in favor of that. Yeah, me too. So I think that it depends how you use it. But yeah, arguably the platform itself is designed in a way that kind of encourages certain types of narcissistic behavior because that's what, you know, essentially the social media platform is trading on people's innate sense of insecurity or innate feeling of wanting to promote themselves or, you know, lots of identity issues that are being uh what's the word for it uh exploited um by it oh i've got a quick question for you to test your alan partridge nod who are wings oh they're only the band the beatles could have been <laughs> very good yes <laughs> yeah i've managed, managed to get that into one of my shows that clip. <laughs> so i was really pleased about what's yeah i love that 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 clip i mean it's just amazing yeah. alan alan is in the in the travel tavern yeah. and someone comes <laughs> up to him and says oh i, I listen to your radio show um and uh oh you know i didn't realize he heard you played the beatles i didn't realize you played good music mm. and and he goes what's your oh you know and alan's like oh yeah i love the beatles yeah. he goes what's your favorite album tough one i'm gonna have to say the best of the beatles yeah yeah <laughs> whose is it it's uh it's mine i didn't know you're into music oh, i know you're a dj but i've heard your show I like all the bands. I like. I've got a broad taste, you know, from uh, from the Britpop bands like oh. uh, UB40, Def Leppard, um, <laughs> right back to classic rock like uh, Wings. Who's yeah, Wings? They're only the band the Beatles could have been. Well, I love the Beatles. Yeah, so do I. What's your favourite Beatles album then? Tough one. 
I think I'd have to say the best of the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, cheers. I did post that once and I said, oh, unfortunately, Beatles podcasters, all, all our arguments, all our debates are defunct. Alan has answered the question. And, uh, the best of the Beatles. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and he's it. so serious about it. Hmm, tough one. Yeah, and he's, you're thinking, what's he going to say? The White Album, Revolver, yeah. you know, Abbey Road? Hmm, the best of the Beatles, which is not even a, a, a like an official album release. <laughs> it just put some chewing gum. Even well, I think I'd have to say the best of the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God bless her. <laughs> um. Okay. Let's move on. So we've got. We're uh, doing very well at moving quickly. I must say. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> sure about that. So okay, we've got other words like open. Well, everyone knows what open means. Like open-minded, I suppose, and mm-hmm. also open to new ideas. Paranoid. I think we have mentioned this. We don't need to go into it in detail. Uh, yeah. Paranoid. Yeah, I think that as you said, after taking drugs and things like that, and, all, and mm-hmm. the the crazy level of fame that he he achieved, he was probably quite paranoid, like worried about people you know and their intentions and yeah, stuff justif- justifiably paranoid I'd absolutely say. justifiably yeah. paranoid but it's interesting that you know we talked about um him being generous and stuff and being generous with fans and he being paranoid and being concerned like he had he had i i understand he had um premonitions of his own death yeah very interesting even in the sort of mainstream there's a fantastic documentary called imagine from 1988 there's lots of films called imagine so you have to find the right one um essentially narrated by john lennon from his interviews and it's very much official story but it's a really fantastic film and at the end yeah i was quite surprised yoko said there were a lot of premonitions when john lennon told his assistant fred seaman that even that he he thought he was going to be killed violently it's quite amazing. And he, he even makes references. I mean, how about this? At the beginning of uh, Come Together, the song, on on the finished one, it just sort of sounds like he's going, shh, shh, like do, 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 do. But when you hear the isolated stems, he's actually saying, shoot me. He's saying, shoot me. Do, do, do. Which is really awful. And then he says, um, during the bedding, he said, oh, we're willing to be the world's clowns because all the serious people like Kennedy, Martin Luther King and Gandhi got shot. It's so eerie, isn't it? I think wasn't it Ian McDonald in Revolution in the Head? I think there's a section in 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 that book, which I find a pretty dark book, actually. I haven't but, read um, that for so many years, but I remember loving it. Yeah, it's great, but the, it it also makes me feel it kind of makes me feel a bit bad when I read some of the things that he wrote uh, about some of the songs, and um, but anyway, um, I think one of the comments he made was that somehow John Lennon was kind of playing with fire when in the sixties he was releasing songs that had lots of sort of weird messages and, um, um, hmm, you know, like the, by playing with the heads of his fans, like he did in songs like mm-hmm. glass onion and other ones where he's like, Ooh, uh, we, you know, what are you going to, what are you going to read into these? And I'm, he's kind of trolling his, his, his fans to an extent, but at the same time, he's not, he's kind of putting out all these weird sort of semi subliminal messages um, and twisting people's heads to an extent that that might've kind of backfired on him to an extent. Maybe he should have been a bit more careful in terms of like you know messing with the mental health of of his crazy fans 
Um, it's a hard, hard one to say. I'm not saying that he brought it upon himself, but um, well, maybe I am saying that. I'm not saying he did it on purpose, but somehow, I don't know. The, 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 when you get to that level of success, then there are a certain number of mentally ill people or disturbed individuals out there. Mm. And, you know, you, you kind of start to think, well, maybe he should have been more cautious or something. But I suppose he was an artist and he, he did what he, he, you know, felt he had to do as an artist. And I don't know. Well, interesting. We haven't got careful and cautious on our list, have we? So maybe I might answer your question a little bit. Wasn't that careful or cautious? Uh, Yeah. And and like, yeah, that his killer, um, he did actually, he just was willing to talk to him in the street and sign an autograph for him and stuff like that. Yeah. Maybe he should have been more careful and cautious. But this is, again, this is the thing that we like about the Beatles is that they're not the sorts of people who are like, no, 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 keep the fans away from me. You Mm. know, I don't want to, I don't want to have to see all these people. And I think some famous people are like that. They they have contempt for the, the their fans, and they mm. don't want to meet them. They don't want to see them, and they feel that they're above them. But I don't think John was like that. And you know, maybe he maybe he should have been more careful. But um, we had a double edged sword. Like this is what we like about him. But ultimately, this may be something that that um, was 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 bad for him in the end. Yeah, I mean, I was listening to a journalist actually talking about a journalist who was around in the 60s or maybe in the 70s and they they worked with um they they, they interviewed Rihanna or someone like that and um this is nothing against Rihanna it's more to do with the culture and they said like the rules that were imposed oh you can only have x amount of minutes you're not allowed to talk about this you're not allowed to talk about that they were kept away from Rihanna until the interview started it was all just massively controlled and they said you know with the beatles obviously it was controlled a bit but it was almost like amateur hour, you know, in terms of the organization. I mean, you know, their road crew was like eight people and they were like the most famous band in the world. It, it's charmingly naive in a way, isn't it? You know? Yeah. It's, they, uh, hadn't, they didn't really have any bodyguards except Mal Evans, who was like this big, you know, friendly <laughs> giant. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't have any security. It's just mad, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy, but you're right. What you said about John Lennon. Yeah. In a way, yeah. I don't want to be too dark, but I kind of agree with you. He almost did sign his own death warrant, but because he wanted to be true to himself, right? He didn't want to live a fake life. And I think, I think that maybe that's one of the things that people admire about him because, you know, I'll I'll argue and I've argued on the show that a lot of John Lennon's appeal has sort of come down to this post 1980 propaganda. You know, it's like a machine of John Lennon, the peacenik, but I think a lot of it is authentic. And interestingly, as soon as he died before any propaganda was allowed to happen, people were like congregating outside the Dakota and, and weeping and in tears and saying, you know, this is the death of the sixties. So I think people, people, there is something genuine, you know, I'll say that propaganda was part of it, but there's something genuine that people picked up on, you know, and it didn't do him any favors. Absolutely not. You know, it's, it's quite telling really that I'm not saying there's a direct link, but John and George were perhaps the two sort of truthers of the Beatles, the ones who wanted to be the most authentic. And they're the ones that ended up, both being victims of crazed fans. Interesting, you know? And it, it is interesting going back to what you said that John said, which is that, you know, what was it like? We don't, we, we clown around because the, the really serious people end up getting killed. And later John sort of did become more serious and stuff. And mm. yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, it gets a bit dark. It does. So, okay. We've got to, we've got to, I'm going to just say some of these ones like uh, okay. quick witted, quick witted. We said it's like, you know, he's clever. He's got the gift of the gab. He's able to come up with funny, uh, witty 
comments uh, mm. off the top of his head, which is another charming thing about him. Uh, reclusive. If someone's reclusive, it means that they kind of stay inside and they don't go out and they don't see people. Mm. Um, and, um, oh, okay, I feel like we're going to talk about that one. Go on. Well, no, all I'm going to say, uh, as, as we've already mentioned, this period, 1975 to 80, is the most contentious. And uh, one version has him sort of traveling all the time, being very open, devoted to his son. And the other one, the other extreme has him sort of very reclusive. And Caitlin, this lady who's on my show, said he did spend a lot of time in his room. And he would tend to play with Sean and her and be very enthusiastic for five or ten minutes and then sort of get bored and then go back to his room and not be seen again for a few hours. So, uh, but again, maybe it's a symptom of the fame as well. You know, when you've given that much to people, to the public, then you you deserve to have some time to yourself. And Elvis ended up the same way, you know, spent a lot of time in his room in the end, you know? Yeah. That's all but I mean, so do I. I spend almost all <laughs> so day in my, in my room. You know, it's weird. Like, we judge people like John differently. If he if he just spends day, a day in his room watching TV, he's a recluse. Uh, uh, you know, he's reclusive and he's hiding from the world and what's going on. Um, but it's just like, I'm just watching TV. You know. Now, one of my famous, one, one of my favorite directors, possibly my favorite, Stanley Kubrick. And what Kubrick did in the 80s was be, quote unquote, reclusive. But all he did was just not give the press anything to write about, you know, and that was his way of dealing with it. And I actually met someone, a friend of mine, who's a book publisher, who met Kubrick in the 80s and said he was just absolutely lovely. Like there was no, no guardedness. He, he just um, figured out that, a bit like George Harrison, he had moments like this. He just figured out the best way to a happy life is to give them the press as little as possible to write about. You know? Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't just like sitting there with like really long fingernails. Un- you know, he hasn't had a bath for three weeks. Mm. Not that sort of thing. That's the picture that gets painted when people say that someone is, is reclusive. Um, well, yeah, Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes is always is the poster boy for being reclusive, but reclusive is a tag and it basically means that the media are not getting what they want. <laughs> so they have to, they have to um, cast you as some weirdo, you know, never leaves his house. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, where, where, meanwhile, John Lennon's just watching the wheels. What is it? Watching the wheels go around. Yeah. Watching the wheels go around, <laughs> watching shadows on the wall. Absolutely. Love it. I, I love that song. Yeah. I'm going to refer to that later. Great. Okay. Yeah. Uh, quick witted, reclusive, restless, I guess, which relates to jittery. If someone's nervous and they have all this energy, although, you know, apparently he wasn't restless because he would spend quite a lot of time relaxing <laughs> on the sofa, watching the TV. So he wasn't that restless. Uh, I guess we I all think, have our moments. I think I see restless more uh, mentally. Like he, uh, he, he never wanted to be stuck doing the same thing for too long. Like musically, I think artistically he was restless. That's probably what the way I'd connect it. Right. Yeah. And he did change a lot, you know, mm. constantly changing, uh, revered meaning sort of respected highly. I think he, I think that's fair to say that he is revered. Definitely. Definitely. We've got a couple of false friends, sensitive and sensible. I say they're false friends because in many languages, certainly French, I guess in Spanish too, mm. um, and probably Italian, maybe Portuguese, maybe other languages, sensitive and sensible are false friends. So it's probably worth, just looking at those sensitive. Now, whenever I teach this word, I always say sensitive can refer to your personality, but it can also refer to your skin as well. And mm. when I when I explain the sensitive skin 
definition, then it helps to understand the sensitive personality. So if my skin is quite sensitive, meaning, um, you know, if I get too much sun, then my skin goes red. I get sunburned quite easily because I have sensitive skin. Similarly, if I use the wrong kind of soap on my on my skin, then it can kind of like, um, I don't know, make, make my skin go a bit dry. Um, so I have, you know, poor me, I've got sensitive skin <laughs> and I have to use moisturizers and, and suntan lotion and stuff like that. So that's sensitive skin. But a sensitive person, similarly, you know, might react badly or might be uh, easily affected by criticism or things like that do you reckon john was a sensitive guy or was he a tough guy with us with a tough layer that uh, you know was he thick-skinned or was he sensitive um yeah well there's two meanings of sensitive really i do this cover this a lot in my classes the positive meaning is that if you're a sensitive person you're sensitive to other people's feelings like you can gauge and I think he was definitely that. A lot of artistic people, to sort of generalise a bit, they're a bit like that. You know, they're very attuned to feelings. But then oh, the other meaning of sensitive, which I'd probably call oversensitive, is like if someone says, oh, you know, you have a new pair of shoes and say, oh, God, I don't like those. You know, it's going to bother you for the rest of the day. That's it's a silly example. But, you know, being a bit um, too easily hurt, perhaps, or offended. So that would be yeah, like thin-skinned, yeah, as opposed to thick-skinned. Um on the note of false friends, you're absolutely right. Yeah, sensible in Spanish is is sensitive. Um, I can give you a couple of other ones if you want, just, yeah. to, just for your listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, in Spanish, for example, uh, suburbios, you'd think of suburbs. And we generally think of suburbs as probably sort of middle-class residential areas. Not always, but sometimes. Uh, but it actually means slum, which is a, a poor area. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, because yeah, for us, the suburbs, yeah, quite nice areas are, are on the outside, outskirts of town where people have large houses and more space mm-hmm. suburbs. But, oh, in Spanish, it means the slums. That's right. Poor areas, which could also be on the outskirts of the city. Absolutely. Yeah. And then a rather comical one, uh, embarazada. Do you know what that means? Oh, yeah, I think I know this one. Well, embarazada, does that not mean pregnant? It does, yes. Very good. Whereas <laughs> it sounds like embarrassed. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if you would be embarrassed if you were pregnant. I don't know. It depends on the situation, I suppose, but not normally. Perhaps if it happened by accident. If it was like, oh, God, oh, oh, but you'd be more than embarrassed if it was, if like you hadn't told your parents and you weren't supposed to be pregnant, it would be, you'd be ashamed or whatever. But okay. Embarrassed. Yeah. In English. Yeah. It's when you, your face goes red because you've done something stupid and you feel a bit stupid and people are looking at you but not pregnant. Okay. Wow. How did that happen? How did that, how <laughs> is it possible? Em, embaraz- what is it again? Embarazada. Or em- Embarazada. Yeah. How is that pregnant? Whereas embarrassed in English, totally different. That's yeah. a weird one. And I suppose a famous one, I'm sure this is the same in French, isn't it? Librerie or libreria. Sounds like library, but it's bookshop. Right. And that's a classic false friend because it sounds like something that's almost, that involves the same thing like books. So it's a real false friend because it's leading you down a, the garden path, as we would say, you know, yeah. you think, oh, is library, but in fact it's bookshop. Yeah. They both involve books. Yeah. Library in English is where you borrow books, but a bookshop is where you buy books. Exactly. And I guess sensible and sensitive is quite similar because they both are used to describe people. So you could easily sort of get them wrong, but so sensitive we've done sensible, uh, probably not. No, <laughs> he's not very sense. He wasn't very sensible. No, no, no. no. 
Right, probably again multifaceted. So I'm sure I'm sure there was a sensible side to him, but it's probably just not one of the first traits that would come to mind. If you're sen- <laughs> if you're sensible, you kind of make you know your your decisions are carefully thought through. You uh, you you use reason, logic um, in your decision making. But John was probably a lot more reckless or emotionally driven. Um, he did things which arguably were quite dangerous and risky, like, you know, using certain drugs um, and being quite, um, what's the word for it? Uh, compulsive. Impulsive as well. Impulsive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, sentimental. Uh, oh, God. This. Okay, we've got a few left. Only a few left. Okay, sentimental, superstitious. Um, I like these adjectives. I think we've got maybe about five more adjectives left, including these. So we can, we can talk a little mm. bit about these. Um, was, I mean, like in John's song, In My Life from, uh, Rubber Soul, he, and also Strawberry Fields, there's a sense that he's looking back at the past. There's sort of nostalgia mm. and looking back at the past with a sort of, with a lot of emotion and maybe even, uh, rose tinted spectacles to an extent. Yeah. I mean, again, definitely a side to that. And uh, unfortunately in the, in the sort of the way that people get stereotyped, Paul is sentimental and John isn't, uh, not true at all. Um, just a quick word on the, on the song in my life. I'm fairly convinced that that was a 50, 50 composition. Oh, really? I, I feel like John often gets a lot of credit. And then Paul wrote his book many years from now in the nineties. And people said, Someone said, oh, when I read that book, my, the first thing that came to my head was like, oh, yeah, all right, calm down, mate. We know you were a good songwriter. He's kind of got cast as revising history, but I feel like stuff like that was a bit of a 50-50. But John Lennon, yeah, he, uh, there are stories about him in the 70s, like on his jukebox, he'd have like Bing Crosby and stuff like that, you know, which you'd never imagine with John Lennon, would you? Sentimental, meaning like showing lots of love or pity, showing lots of emotion, but it's considered to be exaggerated and foolish. Like, you know, a lot of American films, the ending of American films often is quite sentimental. Rom-com. Where everything's like, oh my God, I love you. You know, do you remember the, the Wonder Years? Yeah, yeah. What so would that. you do if I sang out of tune? Which had That's that great impersonation. <laughs> had that song at the start. But the Wonder Years was like the about listeners was about the life of a just an average young boy in America. But it was really sentimental. Like every story was quite good that he got into some trouble or whatever, and his dad was quite frightening character. But then the story would always be sentimental at the end. It was like, and that was when I realized that I really loved my dad. You know, yeah. that, that kind of thing. It's like, <clears throat> excuse me. <sighs> it's sort of, yeah, yeah, kind of glor- glorifying the past a bit. Yeah, as you mm-hmm. said. Mm-hmm. Um, Ringo did, Ringo did a, an album called Sentimental Journey, of course, which was sort of old standards. So I've never actually listened to all the way through. Gets panned a bit, but I've always, I always quite like, I quite like Ringo's voice, actually. Me don't too. Really like his, don't really like his songs much, his solo albums, but I do like his voice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sentimental. Superstitious. Very superstitious. Mm. Um, yeah. Was he quite superstitious? I'm not sure. Uh, he had this thing about the number nine. Number um, so nine? Lot, yeah. There you <laughs> go. You can't, you can't help it. <laughs> I, when, <laughs> I can't help it at all. Whenever I'm teaching uh, and the number nine comes up, I always have to go, okay, number nine, number nine, 
Yeah. Number nine, and I do it on my podcast too. And there's probably about a handful of people who get the reference. Do you ever play it backwards? Turn me on, dead man. Turn, turn me, me on, on dead, dead man. man. It's not turn me <laughs> on, dead man, either. It's dead turn me on, dead man. Turn yeah. me on, dead man. It's like, that's not turn me on, dead man. That's turn me yeah. on, dead man. What's dead man? What I love about Revolution 9, we did a whole episode on it because I, I actually consider it a major piece of work. I like music concrete. Yeah. Um, is the, is the conversation at the beginning where he says, Alistair Taylor says to George Martin, I'll have got your claret for you if you'd realise. I'm sorry, George. George Martin, we'll do it next time. Will you forgive me? And George Martin says, hmm, yes. That's in the record. I've never heard that, I think. That's the very beginning, the very first thing you hear, just before the number nine. Yeah, Revolution 9 is amazing. I want to hear the 5.1 mix because apparently it's scary. It's the stuff of nightmares. Yeah. Oh, it is scary and amazing. I love it. I mean, I love, yeah, like that kind of music. And I like the orb. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. Of course. Right? Little and, fluffy cows. Which, yeah, it's kind of a similar thing that you can listen to the orb and there's like, it, it's, it's very weird. And there are lots of samples of speech in there and other mm. odd things. There's like space journeys and you hear it. it I, you know, I love that stuff. And Revolution 9 for me is like that kind of thing. It's just like ambient music, like like crazy mm-hmm. ambient music. Well, if you like that sort of moon science fiction-y sort of thing, then uh, Jimi Hendrix, interestingly, had that side to him. What's yeah. that song? Is it called um, – what's the song that's like 15 minutes or something? Uh, like um, 1983, A Merman I, I Shall Be or something like that? That's it, that's it, 1983, yeah. But there's some uh, other stuff. There's a couple of other ones as well on Axis Boulder's Love, I think. Yeah, there's the the, the the beginning of Axis Boulder Flirt, which is like a radio show. That's Good it. evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Radio Station EXP. Tonight That's we it. feature an interview with a very ex- very, very odd-looking gentleman who goes by the name of Mr. What is it? Oh, I can't Paul, remember. Paul, so Caruso, Paul Caruso. That's it, yeah. On the dodgy subject of are there or are there not UFOs? And then mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix, you know, comes in and goes, uh, excuse me, I must be on my way. And then the sounds of like feedback on guitars and things and he he does with his guitar he makes the sound of a ufo taking off it's like whoa that's, that's brilliant good evening ladies and gentlemen welcome to radio station exp tonight we are featuring an interview with a very peculiar looking gentleman who goes by the name of mr paul caruso and the dodgy subject of are there or are there not flying saucers or ufos uh, please mr caruso could you give us your regarded opinion on this nonsense about spaceships and even space people thank you as you all know, you just can't believe everything you see in here, can you? Now, if you will excuse me, I must be on my way. I don't believe it.
That's it. Here's a bit of, if you're a Joe Hendrix fan, he's some great trivia. You know the song Third Stone from the Sun? Yeah. Yes. Do you know this? Go on, I know what you're going to say. Go on, tell me. Go on, right, said, right said Fred? No, no. Because they ripped it off. They ripped it off. Have you not noticed? You know their song, I'm Too Sexy? Oh, I'm yeah. too sexy for this shirt. The, the the I guess the chorus section or bridge section or something is the melody from Third Stone from the Sun. Oh, interesting. Little, no, I got something go. else. I went to see a Jimi Hendrix tribute band uh, when I was very young, 18 or 19. And they said that we think Jimmy might, might have been watching Coronation Street in the 60s. Oh, yeah. You think, and so they played, it was brilliant. They played uh, Coronation Street in a Jimi Hendrix style before they played Third Stone from the Sun. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. the song fire this is i'm oh, sorry for going on tangents but it's all right fire comes from um uh noel redding's mum noel redding was a bass player and she used to love jimmy she thought he was really nice and she used to worry about him be very protective she said oh what that boy needs is a, is a mother you know and uh one night they were very cold and jimmy hendrix said uh oh can i stand next to your fire <laughs> let me stand next to your fire let me stand next to your fire yeah, yeah. He turned, yeah he sort of turned it into something quite sexy but it's very very innocuous uh, origins. Yeah, it was actually uh, kind of cold. Can I stand next to your fire? Yeah. Let me stand next to your fire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to a middle-aged lady, you know, not to a sexy woman. You know. In some front room in England on like a cold right. February morning uh, evening or something. Exactly. While watching Coronation Street. <laughs> <laughs> Can I watch Coronation Street in front of your fire? I'm going to compose two songs. <laughs> uh, that's great. I'm so glad that Jimi Hendrix spent that time in England. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, but superstitious. I mean, didn't he sort of do tarot card readings and and stuff like mm. that? Yeah. Well, Yoko, I, I think again, this is even in the official version now. Was very obsessed with tarot and numerology, and I think she just got John into that. I'm not sure if he was totally into it, but you know, consulting the I Ching and stuff um, yeah. as a Ruttles reference. <laughs> Barry started consulting the I Ching every five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> oh god i'm gonna mention the ruttles later that just makes me please laugh. do uh talented okay i'm moving through the adjectives again talented yeah, yeah. yes traumatized i think we talked about it you know obviously the, mm. the death of certain key people in his life probably gave him trauma well read this is going to be the last one i mean I, i'm going to mention the the other the the x adjectives and the z adjectives too i will do them but um uh well mm. read we have said this before if someone is well read it means that they, they they've read a lot of books and he was incredibly well read 
Yeah, one of the things that we get onto the lyrics in a minute, um, there's a, a literate quality to them. And this is one of the, one of the ways that he's inspired me because I, I was not naturally a reader. I mean, he used to read kids' books when, when I was a kid, obviously. Um, but I was more I was more of a radio guy, actually. I think that's how I found my way to podcasts. Obviously, I used to watch a lot of TV like any kids, but I was always very drawn to the radio, the sort of mystery of it. But I've become in my adult life uh, a voracious reader and um, and podcast consumer as well. And I have to credit John Lennon for that. Because there's loads of pictures. Like these are obviously not the very publicized pictures, but whenever you see pictures of them on holiday, it, very often he's got his nose in a book. And uh, yeah, I think reading is such a is a wonderful thing. Yeah, sitting down with a good book, nothing better. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, okay, let's get. So I mentioned before that it was like an uh, an A to Z. I haven't mentioned all the letters, but anyway, you'll, listeners, you'll be able to see the entire list, including adjectives that we haven't talked about uh, on the page for this episode on the website. But that, so I was struggling to think of an adjective that began with X, and the only one I could think of, and this doesn't apply to John Lennon, I think, is xenophobic, which is when you're, you know, I guess it's the fear of people from other countries. Mm. Um, <laughs> if I could just say one thing about that, in fact, uh, in fact, it's the opposite because Liverpool traditionally, because it's a port, was very multicultured. So, in fact, the Beatles had the opposite instinct. Whereas a lot of, um, and I mean, my my dad unfortunately was subject to quite a bit of not not open racism, but sort of more like veiled racism, more ignorance when he came to England. So that was one thing the Beatles had in their favour. They'd grown up in a multicultural place. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it's interesting then. Okay, so xenophobic is quite appropriate because uh, the Beatles were absolutely not xenophobic. In fact, they were really interested in people from other countries and Liverpool being a, a melting pot of cultures. People sort of often forget um, you know, just how diverse the place was and it being a port town and this old um um industrial city that was such an important place in the UK. Um and so many people came through the city and it's got, you know, a big Chinese community. There's like an Afro-Caribbean community there, yeah. um, diverse place. And obviously, yeah, they, they saw the world. And I think John was like very, very curious and interested in, in other cultures and things. Um, yeah. uh, then we've got the words zealous and the word Zen, uh, mm. Z words, uh, zealous. Now, normally we say overzealous, don't we? Mm. Yeah. Zealous has a slightly negative connotation perhaps because, it's connected with religion and the idea of fanat- like religious fanatics, let's say. But I think zeal really is to do with uh, enthusiasm, isn't it? Zeal, like, yeah. Yeah, so zealous comes from the, uh, the noun zeal, uh, to do with being very passionate and very enthusiastic about something. But it's probably not a word I'd recommend people use, perhaps, because it has that negative association. Zeal, yeah, it does have a slightly negative association because we, yeah, as you said, it, we associate it with fanaticism. Zeal, according to CollinsDictionary.com, is great enthusiasm, especially in connection with work, religion, or politics. Um, so you can talk about uh, having a zeal for teaching, hmm. for example, uh, but then we have things like religious zeal, which is when you start to get into the sort of religious fanaticism and, and the negative connotations that are associated with that. Um, I, think, I think maybe zeal doesn't have it. Zealous has the more of a, more of the connotation than zeal, in fact. S- someone who's zealous spends a lot of time or energy in supporting something that they believe in very strongly, especially a political or religious ideal. So or somebody- a 60s pop group. 
Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you get these zealous fans. There you go. Exactly. Um, Zealous. um, Yeah, okay. So often we talk about religious fanatics who are are zealous or overzealous as well too. But was, was Lennon sort of zealous or overzealous in was he kind of particularly enthusiastic about certain causes like religious or political causes uh not so much religious i think he had um he was very childlike that's probably an adjective we could have used as opposed to childish i think childish is very negative that you're behaving like a child in an immature way childlike is that you have a quite a charming childlike innocence about you which it's kind of what he had. He was sort of streetwise and innocent and naive at the same time. It's, that's why he's so interesting. Um, but yeah, he, he definitely would have like enthusiasms again, much like a child would have a strong enthusiasm for something. And then he would seem to go off it very quickly. And um, one of the John Lennon books sort of said, you know, for, for, for 18 months, he was sort of this, he was into acid for, then for the next 18 months, he was into peace. Next 18 months, he was into sort of anti-war, new left politics. Um, so he get, sort of gets tagged as someone who flits from one thing to another. Um, so I think zealous, passionate. Yeah, definitely. He never did anything by halves. So whatever he was into at the time was like, you know, almost like a big obsession for him. So, and he would be probably quite zealous about whatever it was he was doing. But passionate, yeah, it's a, probably a better word because it's got more positive connotations. Yeah. Mm. And then finally, we have the word Zen. And so Zen or Zen Buddhism is, is, a, form of, uh, is a form of Buddhist religion that concentrates mm. on meditation. But we do t- describe things as being Zen. So this is the noun Zen I've just mentioned, the uh, a form of uh, Buddhist religion or you know focusing on meditation. But adjectives, the, Zen can be an adjective, I think too, um, meaning like someone can be very Zen. What does it mean if someone is Zen? Would you say? Um, I would say it sort of means that they're able to be very still and to have a sort of wise, wise overview, not be overtaken by their emotions, be able to stand back. And this is very interesting because, again, one of the one of the very much the contradictions, uh, and I mean in a good way, charming contradictions is John, is that he had like loads of manic energy, but he was also apparently he was very good at meditation. You know, when they're in India, you know, he's very zealous. <laughs> there you go yeah. about meditation. So he had that Zen side, and and he also took a, a vow of silence. And Caitlin, who was on the show, she said she thought it was maybe a parenting hack, <laughs> because maybe he didn't have to spend too much time sort of marshalling the children so he took a vow of silence for i think it was seven days i can't remember but <laughs> what a character eh? yeah absolutely yeah. but yeah zen uh, yeah sort of a stillness a calmness calmness of mind as much of body i think he had that yeah okay so we've just been through um our fairly long list of adjectives of personality referring to john lennon now we've done that and so we've got one more thing to do, which is to finally talk about the music and the lyrics. Mm. And so let's talk about song lyrics and um, Beatles songs and solo Beatles songs. And this is going to be our, the final part of our episode then. So there you go. That's the end of our sort of A to Z of adjectives of personality and John Lennon. Thank you again to Anthony for his contribution to this episode. 
And let me suggest again that you check out Anthony's podcast if you'd like to hear more in-depth discussions about John Lennon. It's called Glass Onion on John Lennon, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Glass Onion on John Lennon. And I must say, it is an excellent listen. Right, so that's not quite it for Beatle-themed episodes. The last in the series is with Anthony 2. That's Anthony 2, like Anthony T-double-O. That's not Anthony... There's not like two Anthonys. You've got Anthony 1 and Anthony 2. No, what am I talking about? Anthony 2, the sequel. Um, No, the last... What am I saying? So the last in the series with Anthony um, is the one where we turn to look at the music. Or should I say turn to listen to the music? But um, no, we, we turn to look at the music. Look doesn't always mean literally with your eyes. It can also mean consider, right? So in the last of the series, we consider the music. And in any case, the next part of this series is all about the music and lyrics, especially the lyrics. And Anthony is going to guide us through a little exploration of words and phrases in Beatles songs, looking at nice idioms, uses of metaphor and other features that you should find interesting from a language learning point of view. And Anthony got his guitar out for that too. So we also get treated to little snippets of songs and singing as we go. So you can look forward to the final episode in the series coming soon. It won't be the next episode, but it will be along soon. I say the final episode in this Beatles series. There's actually nothing stopping me from doing more episodes with Beatles themes in the future. I keep dropping my pen. Um, Did you notice? I don't know. Like, I couldn't understand. I couldn't learn English because Luke kept dropping his pen. I'm sorry. So, yes, I might do more Beatle-themed episodes in the future, and I do plan to do that. For example, I'd like to do some specific song breakdowns in which I could explore the story behind a particular song, then play the song for you and analyse the lyrics. That could be great. But anyway, thank you for listening, as usual, everyone out there in podcast land. Especially thank you to you, yes, you, for listening all the way up to this point. I hope that this has been interesting and useful, and I will speak to you very soon in the next episode of this podcast. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project 
possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.